same old story we already know Yeah, the same old story we already know But when you got no end inside Ain't no end yet to ride Listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Nice dramatic pause there. We have a very action-packed show. You wouldn't, although you wouldn't know it by that pause. Um, Seth is going to tell us about Closer to the Sun, which he just worked, and I have a couple shows I've been to, and we're going to set you up for this Billy Strings interview that I was so excited to do that I literally altered my travel plans around it. But folks, first, holidays are fast approaching. And, you know, people who are fans of bands with vast repertoires who can improvise, these people can be hard to shop for. But listen to me. Check this out. Ben and Jerry's. closely, The great Ben and... Exactly. Our great Ben and Jerry's, not just a great uh, maker of ice cream, but a great conscious company. They have collaborated with Fish and Fish's charitable arm, the Waterwheel Foundation, to create a limited flavor called It's Ice... Cream! Just go to store.benjerry.com. Use the promo code Osiris. That's O-S-I-R-I-S. So I'm going to say it one more time, folks. O-S-I-R-I-S. Use that code, and you all hate shipping. I know. It's the worst thing. It's like, what are we paying for? Use the code O-S-I-R-I-S. Osiris. At your checkout, and anything over $50 shipping is what, Rob? Free! And I got to say, Seth, I, I find out that I'm stupid in many ways, and the way I found out this time was I went to actually buy some of this, and I realized the T-shirt that I had been talking about that was made, uh, the Jim Pollock T-shirt that was made for Curveball, is actually a separate thing. There's an additional T-shirt that was just made for this ice cream that you can only get. So that's two T-shirts that you can only get here. And plus, you could buy a Cherry Garcia T-shirt no. at that same <laughs> I uh, I'm not one for attention to detail, so I get that. But you are the guy that do, that gloats on being the one that does research for the show. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. I mess up though. I do. I'm freely admit that I mess up. Well, just keep your cool. Yeah. Okay. Toffee pieces, fudge fish, and a caramel swirl. Listen, you don't have to be stoned to love this ice cream, but if you are, oh my god, and oh my god. and if you are, then you might want to listen to some more podcasts on this network. Osiris. And I love Pole Clark, and I love Seth. So, Seth, I'm going to give you another chance to get the Pole Clark thing right. Oh, I see what you're Talk doing here. About- 
Mr. Sports passing the puck here. Okay, so folks, you know April's coming. Well, you blew it last time. I did, I did. April's coming, and don't wait till April to get your taxes done. Y'all call Pole and Clark today, and let me tell you why. They are the music, and they are the entertainment, and they are amazing accountants for the, all those areas, and, and further, too. So check them out, Pole Clark. Don't wait till April to get screwed. Call today and get Polade. And not, it's not often that you can sum up why to use a company in three words, but I think I can in this Ooh, case. Let's hear it. Can I try, Seth? Yes. They fucking care. And when you have a finance person, you want them to just care. You want them to care, not just about now. They want you to. You need to care about the future. You need to care about if things don't keep happening for you. What's what's Plan B? What's worst case scenario? So get on Google. All right, Seth, get on the internet. Us. Look for Polay Clark. I want to uh, first thank you, listeners, for listening and dealing with. We are doing the audio piece. Listen, we are, we apologize for. We have a little bit of a delay. I'm in Mexico. Rob's in somewhere in Georgia, and you, I'm, I'm on a porch. I'm on a porch in Woodstock. So on a back porch in July. No, wait, no. It feels like July here over there. It's like 70 degrees in Atlanta. That's crazy. Not right now, but, but that's okay. But we, I want to just thank you for listening and apologize for the uh, sound here on the intro and the outro. But, um, d- you know, bear with us. We're going to invest in more equipment, I promise you. We've got a lot of uh, – I mean, December is going to be incredible. But there's, we're going to talk about all of that in the outro. What we want to just jump right into, though, Billy Strings. Billy Strings. This band, this band is is – well, Rob, you have a lot to say. I'm gonna let I'm just I'm gonna I, let your words. You're better wordsmith at this there. Well, uh, the inclination is to say this guy, and I like Seth. I like that you say this band because that was my initial takeaway. I went into the night impressed as heck with Billy Strings, but I came out of there like, oh my God, he's not the only old soul here. There are four old souls in this band. And Seth, you said it best um, at the time. We'll see if you can replicate it about <laughs> about the way they uh, about the way they went on their excursions their improv it was um you couldn't always tell who was leading the band no, right you couldn't tell who was leading the band you couldn't remember what song they were in they it was it was a, it was a it was very organic and it was very uh it's almost like you were in jello like it was thick you know and and it moved around you really they were listening so intently to each other that you couldn't tell who was taking the lead and it was very organic in every direction it would shift but um and at one point i mean i'm hearing things like i mean i'm pretty sure i heard a tweezer reprise during the china doll i could be wrong i don't know uh but there was stuff like these guys were and oh 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 oh, oh. then there were sounds that were coming out like the banjo was, was playing sounds that like we're looking for an organ and i'm pretty sure it was coming from the banjo i think he did something with a pedal or something i don't know whatever happened but they did it so efficiently it was like it, yeah it was it was amazing you're forgetting something Uh-oh. you you confirmed that with billy he he did, he acknowledged that he very subtly referenced tweezer reprise and and credited you for having a good ear <laughs> uh he also I don't remember that. their own song their own song living like an animal there's a snippet of it if you listen, listen carefully from that version that night he snuck into the middle in the middle of me and my uncle that was wonderful yes the charnet all was great he also did a great black clouds which is the string cheese song and back on the train the fish song yeah, but right. the best stuff to me were the originals i mean this mm-hmm. album he has out called turmoil and tinfoil is fantastic and, we and t- the first set ended we're going to end our show with what the end of the first set was probably his two finest compositions of the day to date while i'm waiting here which is oh yeah from the perspective of someone in jail oh my god what a lyric what a great song into meet me at the creek and it was just the whole show was great but the end of the first set was absolutely stunning i had to had to end the show that way there was just it was screaming at me 
I want to give a thanks to Bojanic, Bojanic uh, Indian Restaurant catered for them that night and kind of helped uh, comfort and coat his belly before the interview. And when he came in, he was a little hesitant, and I was kind of wondering where this interview would go, but he really opened up to us. And I learned a lot about him as an individual. Now, there's a lot of hype. I mean, I, I'm here right now uh, on the verge of uh, Strings and Soul. Uh, he's performing, and it's with you know Green Sky Bluegrass and Yonder Mountain and Railroad Earth, and um, it's, it's just fantastic. Infamous String Dusters. And all those musicians talk about Billy, as do the fans. I was like, what is the hype around this guy? And you'll hear in the and John Sickley talks about him, too. And we include that uh, at the end of the... Uh of the interview, we, we're going to have uh, John Sickley talking and playing one of Billy's songs. But one of the things we always have limited time well, with these artists. There's uh, always I could always spend much more time. But one <laughs> thing we didn't talk about was the other band members. Right, right. So is, could I just talk about them real quick? Seth? Yeah, you can. I just want to finish my point though. With Billy, he had sure. a, he had a lot to say. Uh, but what I found, and I want to echo what you said about an old soul. He's not just an old soul, but in this lifetime of his, he's learned a lot of valuable lessons that artists that we've interviewed, artists that we know of, there's that they don't learn or they haven't had the ability to be open to. And he's gained so much knowledge and experiences that are really going to set him to be a very successful musician in his future. Go ahead, Rob. Royal Massat is on bass. He has toured with Warren Haynes. He has his own trio called Chess Boxer. Rebecca Frazier is someone he toured with for a couple of years, and I found glowing words from her about Royal, who, by the way, Rebecca herself, a bluegrass-based singer-songwriter, she's the first woman to ever appear on the cover of the Flat-Picking Guitar magazine. Um, let's see, also, Billy Failing on banjo. He's been playing since middle school. He's from Portlandia, Seth. He's a Berkeley grad, Seth. He was the featured instrumentalist in the Midtown International Theater Festival musical, This Will All Be Yours. And he also performed on a very famous, uh, a CD that's famous up in Portland, um, a, a Portland Bluegrass, um, the Rose City Sessions with uh, Jack, is it Jake Dwyer or Jack Dwyer? I'm sorry, Sam Weiss. Jack Dwyer and Sam Weiss. And, um, God, he was just ripping it at the show we were at. I mean, they all were, but the banjo was really getting me at points. And then Jared Walker, who um, is is the other member I had heard about in advance uh, of this. He's a mandolin player. His brother Corey also plays. And um, he has already played with Earl Scruggs and Ricky Skaggs hmm. and Sarah Jaros on a TV special. Yeah, that's pretty cool. He started out in Tampa Bay in the Tampa Bay Bluegrass Parlor Band. He has also played in the Grand Ole Opry. He was part of Mike Marshall's Young American Mandolin Ensemble. Mike Marshall is a brilliant mandolin player. He's played with Bela and everybody, Edgar Meyer. Um, Jared also toured Japan with Sierra Ho and has toured the world with the Claire Lynch Band. Uh, by the way, also Billy Failing, you might like this, Seth. He also teaches bando, banjo in Nashville. So that's what I, I the reason I, I really feel bad we didn't get around to talking to them because you could tell I, I got to, Billy was very welcoming to us. We hung out a bunch back there. And the more I talked to him and got familiar with him, the more he was talking about his band-aids. I mean, they really mean a lot to him. And you could tell that this is four old souls. This is an incredible mm -hmm. quartet. You've got to go see them. I, I'm, I miss Bob Weir. Bob is my favorite musician in my hometown. I blew that off and pushed it back because I wanted to see Billy Strings. And I made the right call. The interview was great. The show was wonderful. And I'm so looking forward to watching his career unfold. I really, really, mm -hmm. truly am. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's unfolding right in front of our eyes. 
Uh, you'll notice, uh, well, maybe you won't notice, but I noticed for myself, I, um, I was so intrigued as to his stories and his, and just, I mean, it's interesting. I, I say his career, but he's, he's, you know, still young and, and building his career, but I just enjoy, I was so fascinated with his story that I don't think I dropped that many puns. And I think I actually listened more. I was looking at the, uh, line track and I didn't really say that much during this interview, Rob. Uh. Some people might like that, but if you don't like that, write us. If I'm not, if I'm talking too much during the interviews and, and not letting stuff in, inside out wtns at gmail dot com. Let us know. And if we're talking too know. much at the uh, the intros here, and uh, and you're just ready for the uh, ready for the interview, then Rob, take it away. So excited, so honored to get to talk to this man at a young age. Hopefully, the first of many, many times. This here is Billy Strings. saying it's just like you guys said man it's like i'm gonna eat that i just dug into the tikka masala a little bit got some naan uh and now i'm thinking about it and you know after this interview i'm gonna go back and ravage <laughs> like i'm gonna ravage that uh tikka masala like fucking genghis khan <laughs> <laughs> You are an old soul when you have Genghis Khan references at your no, age. No, that's only because I just like heard that on a, a documentary that I was watching. I thought it was a Dylan reference. What song <laughs> Everything to Rob Turner is a Dylan reference. No, we I've are, been I've been watching that Vietnam uh, yes. Ken Burns yes. documentary, man. And you st- you're able to stay awake through the whole thing. Awake through awake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, usually I'm actually watching that after the gig when we get back to the hotel. So it's like. Two in the morning, and you know we got to get up at nine and leave. So I'm like, man, I really want to finish this episode, but I, I know I got to get my ass to sleep, you know, because I'm I'm not gonna get any sleep if I don't, you know. But uh, yeah, that's a better late ha- late night habit than a lot of musicians have. Yeah, watching documentaries, I, I fully endorse that. But has I just the want- has the Vietnam the watching that has it affected your set list or your your performance? No, it's just affected my. You know, mood. I guess late. Just as of right now, as I'm watching it, you know, it's like seeing all that shit. What happened back then? You know, long before I was born. Um, and I, how a lot of that, you know, that divide. You know, then you know the hippies and people that were against the war, and then the conservative. You know, like uh, you know, just the the obvious like two sides of things, and how that still sort of is now, and how we've never really recovered from that you know it's like a pretty crazy thing to 
to learn about. I mean, there seems I'll, even more distance between the parties now. We don't have Barry Goldwaters or Tip O'Neills to kind of bridge things. Everything's even further and further apart. You know? Yeah, it's it's wild, but you know. Uh, I'd like to tell my listeners though, we're sitting here with one of the few musicians in the world who can refer to Derek Trucks as a late bloomer. Do you know? <laughs> do you know how old Derek was when he first played guitar? No. Nine. Really? You got him by five years, buddy. Oh man. Yeah, well, that don't matter to him, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's doing all right. Maybe the greatest slide player living. I don't know. But Yeah. Billy I mean, Strings. Sure, Billy Strings. But that, that, with Derek, it's the single note stuff that's really the most mind-blowing, right? Yeah, he's just, he's the best, man. He's, uh, I think, something that I really appreciate in a musician is somebody that's able to uh, communicate their emotions through their instrument. And Derek's just, he that's all he does, man. He just makes that thing speak, you know? And that's what we want to hear. We want to hear it sing, baby. Especially the uh, West Indies is what you're about to say, Rob. Well, no, but that is one thing. Actually, if there's something to be learned from Derek, Billy, it's to continually inform yourself with music from way beyond your lexicon. And with him, it's East Indian classical. And I think that's one of the reasons that he continues. Like someone like Warren, who's an amazing player, continues to get a little bit better, a little bit better. And Derek kind of in my estimation, blew by him, and I think that's because of what he feeds himself with. Way beyond yeah. your lexicon. That is a hell of a name for an album. That would be a good one. Yeah, thanks, Do you listen man. to anything that would surprise <laughs> people? I know you come out of a metal background, and we'll get into that. Oh, we were just mumbling uh, Nuclear War on the ins- you know, Sun Ra is what I was listening to on the way here, which is kind of fun, you know, talking about Derek. I know that he probably listens to Absolutely. some Sun Ra and stuff yeah. like that. Man, I have been listening to nothing but Les Claypool, uh, Lennon Delirium. I'm talking Primus. I'm talking Sausage. I'm talking Frog Brigade. Oysterhead. Yeah, all of it, man. I just, I just love him so much. What jumps out at you about him most? <sighs> just everything, man. He's he's the best, you know. I I really can't. You can't put your finger on it. He's well, just there's so. An unbr- there's an unbridled way to it's it. It's way you perform. It's unique, you know. Is that some of it too? Though he is a lot like you, where there's you feel like when you're on stage or when he's on stage that it's just the energy is just going full throttle. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, man, he's just such an incredible musician. I've read his book, you know, South of the Pump House. It's a novel. It's like a fishing story kind of, and uh, you know, he's just it's so descriptive and, and amazing. And his songs are like that too. And another thing I really love about uh, Les is a lot of his tunes, man. They touch in on like the weirdness of humanity, like you know, talking about making a song about a peeping tom or some kid that closes all the blinds and windows and runs around his house naked all day and masturbates or something, you know, like <laughs> uh, that one. Or, or you, that, is that about you, Rob? Rubberneck lines, the people who ruin, who make traffic jams worse. <laughs> well, Finally, yeah. someone wrote a song about them. You know, I was always surprised though that it was. Uh, too many puppies because it would have been like too many kitties or something like All that. Right, <laughs> Don't encourage. Them. Yeah, but that's man, that's what I've been listening to a lot of, and that uh, that's what I listened to a lot in high school. I listened to a lot of Primus and stuff. Uh, I mean, I listened to everything, man. Johnny Winter, uh, Doc Watson is my biggest, hugest influence of all time. You know, him and my father, those two dudes are my music. You know, the rock that I stand on. Um, but I've ventured out and gotten into all sorts of stuff. You know. Uh, just it's just been lately because I saw Les for the first time at um, Hangtown out in California and and with Sean Len, you know the Lennon Delirium and uh, and uh, ever since then I can't you know as soon as I jump in the driver's seat of the van 
I just listened to something. Do you ever look back at some of the old videos from like uh, the late eighties, early nineties? It's so funny because he hasn't changed. Yeah. I mean, not he. He had it then. He had it in the beginning. It just it's the fluidity of his split bass playing. I know, man. It's it's. I don't know. I I love him like I love John Hartford. You know. I mean, he's like. He's really a huge, he's huge for me. Like at that festival, you know, I, he, he walked by and I was like, you know, tried to like introduce myself or something, but I couldn't even really talk. I'm just like. Hartford or Claypool? This is uh, Claypool, or yeah. Yeah, less, man. I just saw him at Hangtown and just like, man, I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, I couldn't even talk. Because I guess you didn't ever caught Hartford. Were you too, too young? Uh, too young to meet Hartford, yeah. But your dad gave you. A guitar at four years old, and I know he turned you on to rock and roll, and he turned you on to bluegrass. Yeah, was it rock and roll first, or was it? All- it was absolutely bluegrass first. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So when I was, you know, three years old, I, you know, three or four years old, I can remember my dad. You know, he's a hell of a guitar player. He's amazing. And singer David Grisman said he sounds like Ralph Stanley. And if you listen to the last track on Tinfoil and Turmoil, yeah, it justifies what he said. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, he's he's one of the best I've ever heard. In that same thing we mentioned earlier, putting your emotion into it, he does that. He embodies a song. He, when he sings, he 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 really means it. You know, I go and perform every night, and we play twenty-two songs every single night, probably. And you know, uh, sometimes you go up there and you you're doing something, and you know. It's like, you shouldn't be thinking about anything else but the song, you know. And like, my dad, when he sings, he's doing that so much that, you know, if it's a sad song, he'll cry, you know. Like, he, he's singing these words about some poor feller sitting there crying at a bar or something, and he's envisioning that it that is him. He's not just like going through the motions. He really, every time he's singing, he reaches down into his heart and tries to pull that out. And and you can hear it when he sings. It's honest, you know. It's it's a real thing. It's like so. It reminds me of like when you talk to an actor and how they channel the character and how sometimes they get lost. Or like the Jim Carrey, uh, yeah, you saw, you saw that special much, on the yeah. Netflix. It's a similar thing like that where they really just embody it. Yeah, you but get get lost in it. Such an enormous benefit to you though, because I, I talked to so many musicians who are like, "Yeah, I learned the notes, and then I got older, and I realized it's about the emotion." Seems like right from the start, you got a key intangible about music because of your father's passion for it. Yeah, um, you know, early on, I, like I said, I heard a lot of bluegrass. Um, my dad he spoon fed me Doc Watson's music when I was little. And this was in Michigan? Yep, up in Michigan. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Muir, M-U-I-R, and it's right outside of Ionia, just a little bit bigger, smaller town. (laughs) And uh, so he raised me on Doc Watson and Bill Monroe and Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs. Larry Sparks was a big one around my house, Jimmy Martin, um, stuff like that. Of course, uh, Carter and Ralph's, you know, the Stanley Brothers. And uh, my dad had this friend, Brad Lasko. I we call I called him Uncle Brad. He was my dad's like best, you know, one of his best friends. And so us three, we'd pick a bunch, you know. And he he played five string banjo, and my dad, him, they sang really good together. And you initially played mostly rhythm, right? I I played all rhythm back then, yeah. And my dad would, when it was just me and my dad picking, I just played rhythm, and he would pick the lead. And um, so I learned how to play rhythm guitar 
first you know we played tunes like beaumont rag and uh salt creek and you know long journey home and stuff like that he sh- he taught me how to play big sandy and leather britches and uh and i just played that rhythm man and i learned how two guitars could work together where you know if he uses a capo and comes and plays up here higher on the neck and then if i don't use a capo it sounds pretty cool because the one guitar is more of a lower bass sound, and then if you put the capo up on the other guitar, but you're playing in the same key, it makes them guitars really ring together. And kind of he taught you know he taught me about that. Um, but uh, well, let me ask you this: He turns you on to Hendrix and Zeppelin too. What did he think when? Uh, obviously, that probably led you toward metal. What was his feeling of you becoming a, like a bit of a metalhead? Yeah, um, they never pushed me or pulled me in any direction. My parents didn't. They, in fact, never even pushed music upon me. It was... I sought it out because I thought my dad was really cool. You know what I mean? Like, when I was a little kid, I'd be at these parties and my dad would be playing. And uh, Brad and him and everybody's all picking and singing. Everybody else who doesn't play was just standing around smoking drinking, you know, just laughing, partying, having a good time. And I was just a little shit running around these parties, you know. <clears throat> you know, and uh, I noticed the happiness that my dad brought through music to all those people. I was like, I was just like, man, my dad, you know, everybody loves him. You know, everybody loves when he sings and stuff, you know. So, just like, I want to get a guitar, dad. You know, and so he got me a little guitar and taught me G, C, and D, gave me a capo, and you're on your way then in the bluegrass world. If you know three, those three chords, you're, you know, you can... Uh, <laughs> did you did you really pitch a fit in the store to get a price on the guitar? Is that... That's, yeah, totally true. Um, it was an antique store. And so my first guitar was a little plastic battery-powered thing. Of course, I didn't even have batteries in it. But it was, you know, they had buttons on the fretboard. This was the early 90s. It was all neon colors and white plastic toy guitar, basically. And I used to... Fisher-Price. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. So this thing had a little speaker right on the middle of the guitar where the sound hole would be on an acoustic guitar. And it had horizontal ridges of plastic ridges like strings. My dad gave me a pick. And so when I was still in my high chair with spaghetti all over my face, I was, (laughs) you know, playing that thing and getting my... Mm-hmm. I could scratch on that thing and make rhythm. So that was my first guitar, and that was when I was about three years old. And then the next guitar that I got was from the antique store. And uh, we were walking through there one day. My mom loves old-fashioned stuff, and I love junk. I, lo- I just love rusty old shit. I don't know. Um, but so we were walking through this antique store one day, and I just saw this light shining on that guitar, man, and it was just amazing. I, I still remember exactly how I felt when I seen it. I just, I needed that guitar. I had to have it, you know. And my dad had like 30 bucks to his name, you know, when the guitar was 50 or something. And I was just, you know, he's like, come on, dude, like, don't do this right now. And I'm like, but dad, I really need this thing. And he's like, <laughs> I, you know, and the woman at the store's going, oh, it's $50. And, and then, uh, you know, that woman said, it looks like he really needs that thing. So I can do it for 30, you know. And so he, took his last $30 out of his wallet that he had and wow. bought me that guitar. And, uh, gosh, I'm glad he did, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, so then I went home. I learned G, C, and D. The first song I ever learned was uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky. That's the first, long, first song I ever 
ever played on the guitar, and I played it on about one or two strings, and um, you know, I just played that melody, do 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 do. That's uh, the first tune I ever learned, and uh, Brad, Uncle Brad's w- uh, wife Lynn. She always asked me to play that song when I was little. Play me a Ghost Riders in the Sky, Bill. And I was like, but how do you good. go from Oh, the Wind and Rain to Crazy Train? What Take me on that journey. Okay, so bluegrass, my whole childhood, you know, up until, up until, man, I was probably like, you know, nine and ten years old. My parents, they listened to the White Album. They listened to uh, Zeppelin 2 and 3, and they listened to Are You Experienced? They listened to uh, Paranoid, Masters of Reality. They listened to... Uh, all that all that kind of stuff, you know, and so it wasn't until I'm probably about I was nine or ten and woke up Christmas morning and I saw a little red Stratocaster sitting under the tree. <laughs> a squire mini, little short scale thing. So and a pig nose amp. Battery powered little pig nose amp, yep. And that was my first electric guitar. And that's how I learned how to bend the strings. Now, remember, I was only playing rhythm. I only ever really played rhythm guitar, just chords. When I got that little Strat, I learned how to bend. My dad showed me how to just bend the strings to make the, the octave, you know, or the, you know, like do that whole Hendrix vibe thing. Like the, and, and then I started to kind of get the, get the feel for taking like a blues guitar solo, more of like a Hendrix kind of flavor, you know, or like... I started listening to Jimi Hendrix, man. And then uh, my dad brought me into his room one day. And I was, you know, this was back even before then. Uh, so this is where your dad doesn't talk about the birds and the bees. He talks about the birds and the bee flats. The plants and the pages. Man, <laughs> he brought me into his room. You know, he did this twice. He did it with David Grisman. I can, uh, twice that I remember. Well, a couple times. He did it with... Uh, both, you know, David Grisman and Black Sabbath, but he also did it with Johnny Winter and uh, King Crimson. He sh- I remember he specifically called me into his room from across the house. Hey, get in. I got to show you something. What? You know, and I walk in his room like I feel like I'm in trouble, <laughs> you know, and he's like, sit down. And I'm like, all right. And then he puts on Black Sabbath, you know, the first record. So you were in trouble. Uh, I was that I found out what trouble really was, you know. Uh, that first song, you paranoid know, about. dude. The the storm and the bell tolling and the rain, and then you know what is this that stands before me? And it's like all, I, I was terrified. And um, he had an amazing sound system, and he turned that shit up really loud. And kind of, I don't know if he thought it was funny or what, but he showed me Black Sabbath. I also remember when he pulled me in and showed me David Grisman, you know, because he. He he just got a mandolin, and and I had known Doc Watson's music since I was a baby. But he pulled me into his room one day and sat me down and showed me Doc and Dog and said, "Listen, son, this is David Grisman. You need to know who this is." And let's do a side journey on that, and we'll come back to here. Take me into the room when you get to introduce your dad to David Grisman. Oh, that was another whole trip, man. The, because. You know, I mean, that must be one of the greatest moments of your life so far, to really give back to your dad in that way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, absolutely. Where was The it? most full circle thing. It was at this venue in, I think, like somewhere near Cincinnati or Columbus or something like that. And uh, we had been out on the road opening up for uh, Dell and Dog. So, you know, and... and this is how my life is now. Like this kind of stuff happens. And then I call my parents and I I call my dad and I say, dad, 
you're not going to believe this. Like I just, you know, uh, I just got to play with Sam Bush or, um, I just met, uh, you know, so-and-so or seldom seen just asked me to come sit in with him, dad. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I do that all, you know, whenever something like that happens, it, it, that's what I do is just cause man, it's like, that dude has got me into this stuff, you know? And so every time I reach a milestone like that or something, it's like, or just meet somebody who he would, you know, be really stoked to meet. You know, we played at the Ryman recently, and I brought him down and got to pull them out on stage to sing, you know, where Hank Williams and Elvis Presley and Bill Monroe sang. And um, that was a huge moment. Bob Weir. Yes, I just yeah, yeah. interviewed a Bob Weir. Right on. <laughs> um, but so I was out on the uh, road opening up for Dell and Dog, and I made sure I got my parents to come down to see the show from Michigan. And so we were all there. And I, man, I had met Dog a few times, you know. We've kind of become buddies or whatever. And, um, and Dell, too. And Dell and Gene and the whole family. And, uh, I, uh, invited my parents down and my, and my Aunt Roxanne came. And that's another funny thing. My Aunt Roxanne, she's blind. And so when I invited them all in and I, I was bringing them into the room where Dog and Dell were to introduce my family to those guys and, First thing my aunt does is walks right in that room with her cane and goes, whap! And she's like, what was that? And uh, uh -oh, it mandolin? was... No, it was Dell's old old 30s oof, Martin. Oof, oof. And he goes, oh, you can't hurt that old thing. <laughs> you know? And uh, so you then... You have to turn on the red light. You know, so so then I, 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 you know, I say, Dad, this is David Grisman. David Grisman, this is my dad. And Dell, this is my dad, you know, and uh, that's what my dad told me when I was little. Now listen, this is David Grisman. You need to know him. <laughs> so that's what I did. I no, said, No, 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 Dad. This is actually David Grisman. Yeah. So <laughs> that was a record thing. Yeah. So then you know, the three of us uh, get out our instruments. Or me and my dad are actually. We sat there and picked a few tunes first, and Dell and Dog are sitting there listening to me and my dad play. Uh, uh, some fiddle tunes. I remember we played "Give the Fiddler a Dram" and uh, "Whistling Rufus" and "Ragtime Annie" and stuff like that. And and we had some harmonies going on. And man, they were just sitting there listening to us play. And then all of a sudden, Dog got his mandolin out. <laughs> Next thing you know, me and my dad and Del McCurry and David Grisman uh, are singing the Lonesome River. Wow. And. I'm singing lead, my dad's singing up above me, and Dell's hitting that big high note up there. Meanwhile, David Grisman's playing tremolo. <laughs> Just take me now, you know? It was like, it, that was so huge. So huge for me, you know? And mostly to, uh, man, I feel like I'm going to cry, you know? To... It's just the Indian food. Intr to introduce my dad to, to those guys, man. Like, ah. Well, who who's alive still today that, that you would most want to be able to do that again with? Or for the first time, but for, with your father. And Tony Rice doesn't count. Mac Wiseman. Wow, interesting. And why? He was huge growing up, man. Like, my dad, um, he's got a huge love for Mac uh, from his, his mom, Doreen, my grandmother. The first scene was that of a gambler Who lost all his money at play Took 
His dead mother's ring from his finger That she wore on her glad wedding day Though his last earthly treasure he staked it And bowed that the shame he might hide They lifted his head But alas he was dead Is a picture from life's other side Is a picture from a life's other side Of someone who fell by the way A light has gone out with the tide That might have been happy someday Some poor old mother at home Waits the ships that come in with the tide She's waiting to hear from a loved one so dear Tis a picture from life's other side He's still alive, man. He hangs out in Nashville. Some of my friends go and visit him every once in a while, and and he they he'll sit there and sing with you and stuff. It just he's he's an enormous figure to to my father. Therefore, to me, you know, I mean, these guys are they're legends, man. Like beyond anything that I can comprehend, you know. But do you feel in within you at all the importance of being so young and uh, you know I, you're going to be carrying this music to a whole bunch of new listeners. So to uh, them, you seem very valuable and, and a special thing as well. Well, I just you know I always just feel like totally grateful and knocked out. You know I'm just like I I grew up in a little town and you know just with my family and we never. I never thought playing music like for a career or, you know, uh, it was just something that it was a, a natural way of life um, for me. And I never thought it was going to be like my career path or anything. I also never thought I'd be able to meet and make music and also have relationships with people who I've looked up to and pretty much worshipped mm-hmm. since I was a child. And, you know, like I said, these guys are just huge figures to me, like... Um, and on the note that Rob was talking about, I mean, our, our, one of the things that we've talked often about on our program, uh, if it's talking to Anders Beck and Green Sky, or if it's talking to Sam Bush, or if it's talking to any of these, Stanley you know, Clark, it, this, you know, the new, you are not just playing bluegrass music, not just playing newgrass music, but you're part of a new wave of it and that's a really big thing and you're just coming into it not that you're you're coming into it right now with you know and driving it and it's pretty exciting because i mean the 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 bluegrass scene the new grass scene i mean you're sell, you're sold out here at terminal west tonight you know that and it kind of are you getting into a question no i'm getting to a point here and you totally derailed me. No. No, next to Rob, Rob loves doing that. But at any rate, how much of that weight do you feel? 
Uh, or how much? Not even weight, but how much of that do you do? You, do you feel uh, within? I, you know, what I do is I keep my head down and I try to play my guitar the best that I can, and I try to interact with the people in the audience, and and each night is is different and kind of you know special in its own way. But um, I don't know. I I don't feel much of any pressure at all, except for just like the pressure that I, you know, regular kind of everyday sort of stuff like i'm on the road for six weeks at a time um stuff but certainly no pressure as if i'm like holding a torch or some banner or anything i'm just sort of doing i'm trying to do my own thing you know but also i'm very inspired by all the people who have came before me um from everyone from bill monroe and doc watson and lester flat to the infamous string dusters and green sky and, and Sam Bush and Newgrass revival. And, you know, um, I really like kind of what Sam did, you know, back then, um, by carrying on the tradition that Jim and Jesse and, uh, country gentlemen and people, the Dillards and people like that had Osborne kind of, brothers. yeah, Osborne brothers. Exactly. The more kind of progressive, um, side of that. It, I, I kind of picture us as like maybe in that kind of same vein. Very much so. Like, uh, you know, even on the last album we made, Turmoil and Tinfoil, there's a song on there called All of Tomorrow, which is directly, um, hopefully not a direct regurgitation, but a homage to Mac Wiseman. Um, did you catch that, Rob? No, I did not. Uh, check, yeah. Appreciate that. So, like, if you listen to that song, it's very much inspired by Mac Wiseman and, and that kind of stuff. Well, the glimmer in your eyes told me that your love was true. Now the ribbons in your hair were navy blue. I know that I'll never more see your face again. This heart of mine keeps aching. So sometimes I pretend that I could lose all of tomorrow for the days we had before. Well, I would trade my life of sorrow for a life with you, the one that I adore. There's also uh, Bukla, and there's also like crazy Casio weird synthetic, uh, you know, space guitars and and stuff on that same album, you know. So it's like I try to um, add in the influence that I get from Doc and Mac Wiseman and everything, as well as the stuff that I've learned from the Edgar Winter Band, you know, Frankenstein, like that, or Les Claypool, or any of that stuff that I've listened to growing up, man. And it's a lot of different stuff. Um, Johnny Winter is a huge... I love Johnny Winter, man. I, I love his guitar playing. Um, the last there, time I saw him, he had to be escorted, helped on stage by oh, Susan yeah. Tedeschi, by the way. Yeah. But then once he got up there, he shredded. <laughs> and then he had to be frail and all well, that. That's, that's the same as like Johnny Knapp, may rest I guess, in peace. Like I said in the Stanley episode, Elvin Jones played with a respirator the last time I saw him. But I want to so, get back. Tinfoil and Turmoil. Yeah, there you go. It feels like putting your life in context of the world today. Like Tinfoil could be... 
the meth or the drugs, whatever, when you're a kid, but tinfoil in a larger sense could be the extremist crap that's going on in the world. I, I, when I hear tinfoil, I think tinfoil hats, and I think people yeah. who are more into their opinions than into compromise and getting those of others. Uh, and then turmoil would be the other right. side. Remember the government's thank listening, you. Rob. What's that? Uh, thank you, because, like, yeah, that's you get it. You know, you, like when I made that album, I don't know if... Should we really call it turmoil and tinfoil? It's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. You know, should I really, uh, you know, put an entire track on that on my first album, just basically explaining my DMT trip? Yeah, yeah, I should. You know, that's DMT. That's ballsy. Well, that's you know, that's where spinning came from. You know, it was a, it was a kind of a life changing experience that I had that I just decided to um, share with the world. Did you cross over? You think? Dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what big time. Listen to the track, it, man. It explains everything. <laughs> what memories do you have of it specifically? Because I've done a lot of experimenting. When I was when I was younger, not so much now. I'm an old fart now. <laughs> I, I, if I smoke weed, I'm hungover the next day. But when I was younger, I did, but I never touched that stuff. I was afraid of that stuff. But then again, I listen to Art Bell and stuff like that, and I've talked to scientists who've done it who don't do anything. Yeah. It's like serious stuff. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say it blurs I I, the distinction between the normal and the paranormal. Yeah, world. totally. I mean, it's I don't I don't want to like sit here and advocate for any anybody to do anything. Um, well, David Crosby crazy. says you have to make your decisions about drugs yourself. Totally. But if you take one look at my life, it'd be an easy decision. That's what he <laughs> says. That's just what he says. Or as Mo says, recreational chemistry. Right. I know that like before I had any kind of. Really, whether it was LSD or, you know, other mushrooms or whatever, like, um, I've had some, a couple psychedelic experiences that changed my life for the better, I think, for a much more positive version of me, a more positive version that thinks more about, you know, the planet and, and all the other living beings on it than the 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 money and the the business and the you know whatever um i just some and i a lot of you don't need psychedelics to do that either some people find it through meditation some people just go on hikes in the wilderness and that you know if you go out and just get get a little close closer to nature that can do have the same effect um go camping and take some acid and uh lay in a bed of pine groves and listen to Jerry Garcia play uh, his guitar like a lighthouse in a storm. That sounds familiar. Yeah. So that's, um, I don't know. Uh, it's, I've definitely changed, you know, I walked out of my house one of these days feeling like the guy on the male enhancement commercial, just like, <laughs> just like, you know, Bob or whatever, man. It's, Do you have a real satisfied looking woman on a hammock? <laughs> no like those commercials <laughs> no <laughs> yeah maybe i do i don't know uh but you never even at your darkest point when you're young you've mentioned it in interviews there was a point around the metal period oh, yeah. were you into the pills and powders at all at that point and did you become wizened from that experience? i've never i've never been like hardcore strung out on anything that's good i've done everything you know I've smoked anything. I, I've never stuck a needle in my arm. I know that. But I've went down before a couple of times back when I used to, you know, it was, I was a different person back then. Like, I, I, I lived in a small town that was ridden with 
drugs and abuse of those drugs. You, you know, lost like, a lot even of friends, even right? just drinking. Yeah, this, this yeah. is the time though. This is the small town Michigan. This is this is you know this is small town Last Massachusetts. Decade. I mean, this is the first cent- first decade of the century, right? That's and this somehow I broke country. Somehow I broke out of that, man. And I'm I'm just happy that I did. But Wait, is it, it, somehow the music part of it, music. relationship with your parents. What's that somehow? What do you mean? Like, uh, what did you do? The music. Was there a point? Was there a bottoming out point? Music. Well, I got a DUI. Um, when I was nineteen, yeah, I got pulled over drunk driving so with my did friends. I, when I was nineteen, I was man. I was just heading down a destructive path, you know. And a lot, a lot of my friends were, and I, I, uh, I got in trouble, and so all that did was. For one year, I had to just be clean. And so, you know, no weed, no booze. I was pissing in a cup four times a week, you know, you know like 10 grand. Don't drink and drive, people. Don't fucking drink and drive. It's just much don't. easier now not to. You, because you can drink, but just get a Lyft or an Uber. You're yeah, set. seriously, just don't drink and drive. Um, and anyways, I, you know, I was an idiot. And I was just, I was being stupid like that a lot. So this, this was a huge slap in the face. You know, this was life saying, dude, stop fucking around, you know, get your shit together. And so that's what I took it as a blessing in disguise. I was like, this isn't for no reason. This is like, this is going to be something positive. So I buckled down, man. I started practicing my guitar all the time, learning every song I could, trying to learn how to sing better, learn how to pick better. Just sitting in my bedroom picking, man. I I just I buckled down and I said I'm not gonna let this bring me down. I'm gonna let this lift me up, and um, and so that's what I did. And then I got you know working, started getting steady gigs. What you kind know? of gigs were the initial ones oh, coming out of that? Man, I had a weekly gig at this place called Little Bohemia up in Traverse City, which was you know fun. We played there every Thursday night. And uh, I mean, coffee houses, open mic nights, uh, you know, you go play at the little coffee house for tips. Sometimes you'd make 14 bucks and get a mocha latte out of the deal or whatever. Um, Were there and originals those, too? Were you doing originals at that point? Sorry. Um, mostly just old bluegrass stuff, you know. I think I had written Dust in a Baggie by then. but um, These are the days we was giving Mark Stir the uh, private, private uh, concerts at these bars. Yep, totally. <laughs> a little stir. Um... Yeah, man. So the but no, those were the days where I was drinking, man. I was like, you know, I'd go play some little gig somewhere, and then they'd be like, "Yeah, we give you free booze." How really? old were you? Like sixteen, fifteen, or eighteen in that? Frame? Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, no, because the DOI was nineteen. So oh, that's right. So, what about the temptation now that you're you're out and you're you know you're you're out and in it? Is, is there any temptation? I'm just in control, you know. If I want to do something, I know the repercussions of it, and I know what I'm going to feel like tomorrow. For instance, if I'm going to stay up and party all night, which I don't, I don't drink, you know, or whatever. But if I say if I'm just going to stay up and play music all night, or stay up till six in the morning partying at a festival, or whatever, or watching I, documentaries, yeah, whatever happens, totally. Um, I think about okay, what's tomorrow look like? Oh shit, we got a six-hour drive and an early show or something. Nah, I'm going to bed tonight because here's the thing, man. Like, that's why I quit drinking is because I'm on the road doing 200 gigs a year. That means, I mean, I'm always on tour. Always. I'm pretty, we never have days off, you know? 
six, you know, six weeks is I've been on the road for six weeks right now. But before that, I was on the road for two weeks. And before that, I was on the road for three weeks. And, like, it's just, like, we're constant. So you can't drink and stay up all night. As soon as I finish the show, I have to pack up the gear, put it in the trailer. We usually have to drive a little bit um, and go to a hotel. And by the time we get to the hotel, it's, it's really late, you know, three in the morning, four in the morning. And then sometimes we have to be in that van with it moving by nine or ten to get to the next gig so that's, you're talking four or five hours of sleep a night and you're cranking you know you, there's no time to mess around but uh i haven't had a drink in over you know but probably two and a half years or Excellent. something good job but um what happened was i had a really bad hangover one day and it it stopped me from doing my best at the gig you know what I mean? Like the next day I had a really bad hangover and I couldn't perform to my full ability. And I said, you know what? Fuck that. Like, I'm not out here to fuck around. I'm here to deliver the goods, man. Uh, when I walk on stage, I want to be, you know, I don't want to be that guy that sounds tired. I want to be the guy that's fucking on fire. You know what I mean? So goodbye, booze. You know, it's me and you don't get along. I, I work too much, you know? I like it. Yeah. Was that the way... What about when you, let's go back to, you're coming out of the early 20s. How do we get from playing those gigs to fronting your own band? And how does the, are you drinking back then too? Um, or yeah, did they, when I first started fronting this band, yeah, it just lasted a little while. It's always funny because Jared, Jared Walker, our, our mandolin player, he's always like, oh, I miss the good days <laughs> or whatever, you know, like he's like, I miss the, I, I, you know, I've never seen this side of you. Because man, it's like. You know, I would. What happens to me if I drink is I get rambunctious and, and, and dangerous, kind of. The last night I drank before the hangover that ended it for me, I ramped our luggage cart off a curb and flipped the. You know, like from, at the hotel, I was like riding the luggage cart like a hotel and flipped it off the curb and Team rolled. Wolf style. Dude, like rolled inside of the luggage Jeez. cart. Like I could have broke my fingers or something. Like it was yeah. so stupid, Yikes. you know? Um, but just kind of stupid stuff like that. But yeah, I used to, you know, it's well, been a, it's been about two and a half years. But I I mainly like some people I'll, go their whole life not being able to do that. Right, so that's, that's true. really really really. Some musicians I have forties and start saying what you're saying. Well, dude, I have to sing and I have to play, and that means more to me than anything. Like I'm in this shit for real. I'm not like, you know, uh, I'm not like. I don't want to be like too intense about it or whatever because it's called you know. Well, you're professional. You're not here for the party. You're here for to. Yeah, Sam Bush is my hero, man. You know, and he, it's like he went through a lot. Yeah. Well, dude, he is the role model. Like, mm -hmm. he shows up and he is there on time and he delivers and he, you know, he gives it three hundred percent on stage. That guy's been doing it way, way longer than I have. He's way older than I ha I am. And when I see him perform, I feel like I, I feel like when I'm up on stage, I'm like just not even barely doing anything. Like you know what I mean? Like, like like James Brown or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, it's like when he walked on stage, he just that was it, man. The fire was lit, and that motherfucker was going for it. You know, like that's what Sam does, man. He just he delivers, man. He just gives it hell, and I wanna I wanna try to learn how to do that you know i don't want to i never want to be the guy that's just like up there just kind of playing and like no i want to be focused man i want to be going for it you know and mm -hmm. and that's that's sam he's the man that's that's like 
Man, I'd like to tell this little story actually about Sam. Um, one of my biggest musical moments that shaped the way that I, I can hear people starting to file in here. Um, this moment shaped, you know, helped shape the musician that I am today. And Sam Bush said not one word. Um, we were on stage and we were all playing a bunch of songs and, um, it was like rolling in my sweet baby's arms or something. And there was 20 people up on stage for the big encore. And I went up to the microphone and I did my solo. And then I circled around to the back, you know, back by the curtain. And, uh, you know, and then I, I just because I wasn't near any microphone or whatever, I, I figured, well, I already took my solo and there's 20 people up here playing. I don't really need to play right now. So I leaned over and I took a drink of whatever I had up there and... As soon as I leaned over to take that drink, I look over and Sam Bush was standing right next to me with his eyes closed and he was pouring sweat and he was so passionately playing the rhythm, just chopping his mandolin. And he wasn't near any microphone and nobody could hear his mandolin either and he was doing that for the sake of the song itself because... We're playing a song right now. You know, it's not like you can just stop playing and just lean over and have a drink. It's all about serving the song. It's yeah. just like he, well, you're, you're, you're recognizing the sacred space and, and uh, of the performance there. Dude, he was like, I felt like an idiot taking a drink. You know, it was like in the middle of a song. You know, like what's like the you're hell? talking during a song, Rob. I mean, I understand if you like got a big band and there's a lot of space and you can le- sneak in a quick sip or whatever. That's whatever. But like, the, the way that I did it, I just I was floored by that. I was like, Sam is like playing this song like it's his last song that he's ever gonna play in in life. You ever tell him that story? I did. Yeah, and what he told me was a, a follow up story to when um, he was playing with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and they were playing. Um, you know, they were both playing electric guitars, him and somebody else, and somebody leaned over to Sam and said, hey, when our solo comes around, let's go up front on the lip of the stage and up in front of the wedges and go rock this solo. And Sam was like, what? what? You mean like up there? And then they did it, and they got in the crowd's face, and Sam said it just clicked. He said, oh, we're performing. <laughs> you know? You say that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that was what Sam, the, the story that Sam told me when I told him my story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had moments exactly like this with David Grisman. I've had moments like that with Del McCurry. I've had countless moments like that with my father, where while playing music, you learn something that basically changes the way you play music forever. You know, and that's... And there's going to be a whole school, a uh, whole generation coming up under you that are going to learn from you, and it's going to be pretty exciting. What about offstage? If you're someone who's decided that you're going to spend a large percentage of your life on tour, do you look at the other musicians that do that? Like, I know Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson create a situation where the, the, their life on the road feels as much at home as possible. Are you moving in that direction to try to, I know you can't do it yet, but to make on the road feel like being home? Absolutely. This is... Uh, I don't want to be anywhere else. You know, I don't have like another life like that. I'm like, feel like I'm missing out on or anything. You know, it's not by being away from home so much or whatever. No, this is my home. You, you know, have FOMO out of being away from Nashville all the time. No, you know, uh, 
I'm here. I'm doing my thing, man. It's like, especially because I'm so early on, I guess, in my career. And um, I just want to get it while the getting's hot. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to slow down. I want to keep I want to keep that fire burning. So that's where I'm at right now. We're still, I mean, I don't know what next year's looking like. It's looking really good as far as the gigs that we're playing. But I think we're probably going to play another 200 gigs next year. I don't know. Maybe. Do you still live with uh, Molly Tuttle? Uh, well, I think she just is getting ready to get a house in Nashville. So we're, we're coming up on where the lease ends and we're getting ready to not be roommates anymore. So did you learn from her though? Oh yeah, man. I I mean, she's one of the best guitar players on the planet. Hey, speaking of guitars, do you got your guitar with you? Yeah. Think you might be able to do a little bit for your fans and a Rob's fan. Your fan? I have one fan. Oh, nice. Seth has tons. Seth is very famous. Oh, that's only because of Jam Cruiser. Yeah, it's because people. <laughs> he thinks musicians love him, but they just want to get on Jam Cruiser and they put up yeah. with him. Would it be all right if I played a couple old songs that maybe like, uh, yes, you know, stuff that reminds me of my dad. I'll, yeah. I'll play some stuff that he. Please let me do. go grab my guitar. Uh, my dad plays this one awful pretty, and it's called uh, "Memories of You." <laughs> Thank you. 
You better turn all them chickens loose Or you're gonna die from indigestion When you eat that stolen chicken pie Open up them pearly gates Open up them pearly gates Open up them pearly gates for me When you hear that trumpet blast I'll be coming home at last Open up them pearly gates for me just uh josh thane who thank you josh for your work with us josh on engineering and assembling he engineered the live uh performance there he assembles our shows and he lately has been aggressively requesting free ice cream um thank you josh he hasn't hasn't been asking for ice cream he's asking for the shirt you got him all confused about the shirt rob he's like i want the pollock shirt (laughs) now you can be like what pollock pollock that's what i said oh pollock ice cream pollock I'm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and buy them, though. You know, they can give us free stuff down the road. For now, I'm just glad to have Ben and Jerry's with us. But, dude, you are in Mexico. Talk to me. Well, I'm I'm happy to be here, Rob. I'm in a different phase of my life, as you know. Uh, I'm a different space in my life, and I've really enjoyed Closer to the Sun. We moved it from now Sapphire in Mexico to a much larger uh, resort called Hard Rock, which I'm sure you all are familiar with. The uh, slightly stupid's main event, stick figures, a big part of it. Thievery Corporation was there. They were thievery were the champs. Lulu, oh Lulu, she's amazing. Uh, she, uh, oh, my, I had one of the best activity banter's I've ever had um, with her, Carl Denson, and um, Dela, who's a sax player for a slightly stupid. We did a grilled cheese off, and the three of them and me on, a, on a, you know on our own mics and twenty uh, ten people rather making grilled cheese, right? And they're the taste testers. But during the whole making, like, their banter was so good. It was so entertaining. I loved working with them. Uh, Carl says hi, by the way, Rob. And the music was great. Uh, You know, I love that West Coast reggae. And there was some really good stuff. UB40 was one of the uh, bands, which was interesting because I'm like, that's not, I was like, that's not really going to sell more tickets. But the promoters weren't looking. It wasn't like they were trying to build the lineup to sell more tickets. They knew what the show could do on its own. So they wanted to provide the listeners and the, you know, the the folks that are making the journey. to Can I jump in? Yeah, good. Can I jump in? UB40 was huge for a while there, dude. They might surprise you. They might sell some tickets, man. Uh, not at a slightly stupid festival. I don't think anyone's like, I'm going to go because of UB40, but I think everyone there was like, wow, I got to see UB40. Right. I think it's more like you look at the lineup, you're on the fence, and you're like, well, what the hell? It's like, um, 
uh, I don't know, Stephen Stills playing Awani. No, you're not going to see Stephen Stills, but it's like, wow, this is the year Stills is playing. This is the year I should go. That's All right. No, okay, gotcha. So one of the other things, and this is the big one for me, Yellow Man, international reggae superstar. Superstar. Super, superstar. He um, is. He, I used to go see him at the Western Front. I used to go see him in Boston all the time when I was in college. I love Yellow Man. So Yellow Man was there, Rob, and he was there for the, like on a vacation, yeah. essentially, right? But but they brought him out the last night for three, maybe four songs. And, you know, when an artist comes out for just three songs, they might play really well, but not often do they, like, hype up and, like, he came out, and it was like all of a sudden, like the sky opened up, and like the you know, it's just like international star, you know, like you could feel that presence. And he was jumping and doing high kicks, and his energy was just so on point; it was unbelievable. And then they also have Uncle, as they call him, Uncle Don, Don Carlos, uh, who is, um, you know, I think I think he was with Israel Vibration. I think so. I could be wrong about that. Uh, but he's just his voice and his his style. I mean, he's got to be in his sixties, maybe seventies, and he can move like. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Just that, that you know, I, I feel like Jamaicans, the older they get, they don't get, they're physically, they don't get old. You know what I mean? Anyway. I agree. It was a great show. It was an interesting move from a smaller venue to a larger. It was a nice growth for the event. Um, and I got to try out a bunch of new things with my activities, and I'm super psyched. All the folks that are listening now on their way or that just left uh, uh, from Strings and Sold, we got a lot of good stuff in store here for that. Um, and the, the Closer closer was awesome. I'm really excited, Rob, for being here at Strings and Sold. I mean, if you think about the last year or the last two years, we, we've become, even though we, we interview so many different diverse music, the musicians we interview, a lot of them, are from this scene, Green Sky Bluegrass, Infamous String Dusters, Leftover Salmon. And so I'm really excited to, uh, Billy Strings, you know, John Stigley, all these musicians. So I'm really excited to uh, to see that. But also it's kind of interesting that we've become kind of like the Jamgrass podcast. And now to top that off, we've got an amazing interview lined up. When I get back in Atlanta, we're going to interview a legend. I mean, freaking Peter Rowan. I'm so excited for that, Rob. Dude, I am too. I've been I've been bathing in his music. What have you been up to in, back in Atlanta while I'm over here in uh, Mexico? Well, one last thing. Don Carlos is from Black Uhuru, by the way. Oh, I knew I, I knew that name, and I looked it up. Thank you. I, what, I, I don't know, but... Oh, I know why. He was... He I, came, I, anyway, go ahead. Well, I just... I knew Israel Vibration. I knew it wasn't them, because I used to see them, too. They're like the Crosby, Stills, and, and Nash from Jamaica. And they would be out... Um, Israel Vibration would be out there. They'd be, they, they would all be on assisted walking and they would just sing like angels. It was just, they, they, they walk like drunks and sang like angels. Amazing. And Black Uhuru was great, but they were too big to play the Western Front that I saw. I, I used to have to see them in bigger rooms. But what have I been doing? First of all, I want to give a shout out to Dave Soslovsky. You know, one time I made a very um, incorrect uh, pronunciation of the word tenet, T-E-N-E-T. I've been pronouncing it tenet for years. And Dave pointed out that it's Tenet, you know? It's like my myopic. Beyond the Pond has myopic. They, used to, they pronounce it myopic for like that first 40-something episodes. Right in the intro, too. Hey, Rob, you told, this, you, told the, you told the story about two episodes ago, bro, but go on. Well, Dave Soslowski got me tickets to Tom York in Brooklyn right on the night when I was driving from Boston South. So I got to pull into to Brooklyn, stay in my favorite hotel chain, who will remain anonymous until they become a sponsor, but I will sing to the heavens about them once they do become a sponsor and i got to uh, brooklyn being in brooklyn is like being in a movie it really is you walk around i walked my dog i got to go to prospect park with my dog which is so great and i got to go to the king's theater which is this refurbished theater that is just absolutely gorgeous it's in a kind of a funky weird outskirts part of brooklyn but 
oh man, and York just blends the organic and the electronic in a way that nobody else does. His voice just ripples through me, and his fans are the best again. Radiohead fans, they pay attention. They're so respectful for the music. They're enthusiastic. The ones, at least around me, were grooving. I mean, the knock on them is that they don't, they kind of stare and don't dance much. But I've been lucky. I've been around people who are into the show and quiet and so respectful of the musician that they love. I love Radiohead fans. <laughs> the other quick shout out I got to see Max Creek in Pawtucket. Scott Murawski, who many of you may know from my Gordon band, but Max Creek predates Fish. I used to see Max Creek, their great quartet. Um, I used to see them way back in the day in Boston. Their bass player, uh, I think it's John Ryder, I firmly believe is an influence on Mike Gordon. If we ever get the honor to interview Mike Gordon, that will come up at some point. But it was a small room, an enthusiastic audience, and the freaking Max Creek, they can still improvise with the best of them. It was such a great show. And I left a couple videotapes. And I hope if any of you found them, I hope you own a VCR, and I hope you check them out because they're packed with killer music. Okay, Seth. That sounds... That's my update. That's that's a good one, Rob. <laughs> oh, uh, I saw Kurt Vile last night, too. That oh! Was, that was great. Uh, you know, if we were in town, if I was in town, that would have been definitely an interview I would have pushed for. Yeah. Should have done that anyways, but whatever. Well, hey, Rob, one Maybe other quick year. One, year, one we'll other quick more thing. Um, your Rockshineer is, uh, is back at it, and it's uh, been fun up here uh, raising money for Positive Legacy, and... Uh, I uh, I started a new thing, and it, it, uh, I think I like it. Um, remember that nice jacket you saw me sell off my back the other day? Yes. See, but people, he's not kidding. Someone in the crowd wanted Seth's jacket, and Seth literally sold it off his back to raise money for... That was at the Bojanic anniversary. Who were we raising money for there? It was for... Um, oh, excuse me a second. The uh, Giving Kitchen, uh, which is an amazing, amazing oh, organization. Okay. I love them. They're just fantastic. So... I bought more, another jacket, and then I bought one. I'm like, hmm, you know what? I'm going to buy a couple. So now um, what I did is I, uh, I got slightly stupid to sign the jacket. I wore it during the auction, and at the end, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, some people sell the shirt right off their you know, the back. I'm going to sell my jacket right off my back, and I started you know, auctioning it off, and it went up and went up, and when it stopped, I jumped in, and I was like, oh, by the way, did I mention that it's signed by the band, and then it shot up again, and it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun, but it was nice to try to... To, to it was nice to use uh, some new material, you know. Well, right on, and I envy you. I wish I could be at Strings and Soul, maybe one of these years. But um, hey, let's hey, lead into uh, the last thing here. Well, well, well. I saw on Facebook today, Mac from Voodoo Visionary uh, has a cabin avail a uh, spot in his cabin. So uh, not only myself, Rob. I meant to tell. I didn't have to tell you because we haven't talked. But uh, several people have been posting on it saying, "Take Rob, take Rob." So I don't know. You might be in the running. I mean, maybe it's a far fetched. Who's been posting? Uh, different people have been, um, but Mac, the drummer of Voodoo Visionary, said he has a spot. I think he's trying to sell the spot, but I'm just saying that would be nice to get the Turner on there. I'd be a good date for that. I'll bring <laughs> cassettes and a little cassette player. I'll be so fun. All right, what, anyways, else, here's what else you got? Here, go, 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 go ahead. When we interviewed John Stickley, let's remember we were cramped in a little porch outside of Arden's Garden in public and little five points of people walking by. John Stickley, we, and we were wrapped up. He had kind of had enough of us, so we had made him sit there. He set us fumbling with the equipment, and then he had already done a whole interview. But once we brought up Billy Strings and said we wanted to talk about him, he lit right up and was like, I want to play a Billy Strings song. Let's do a segment for Billy. And so we did this quick little thing with John Stickley for Billy, from Billy Strings. And then we're back to the Terminal West to play the aforementioned wonderful 
spectacular final two songs of the first set of Billy Strings' quartet at Terminal West. Pay attention to Billy Strings, John Stickley, and Green Sky Bluegrass, and all those bands we mentioned here today. Uh, there's a scene that Into is string just fruition, beautiful. Fruition, fruition. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Elephant Revival, you can throw in there if you want. We can keep going on and on, Rob, because it is alive. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. We're looking forward. we got a busy, busy month coming up. We're going to have a lot more uh, content coming to you. And we always say it, and I don't know why we wait till the end, but if you have a minute, go onto iTunes, give us a rating, let us let uh, some comments, feedback. But that stuff helps push the show out there. And feel free to share the show with other friends. Thanks for listening, and happy holidays, happy Hanukkah. But we're here with John Stickley. All right. And he is a Billy Strings fan. He's wearing a Billy Strings shirt. And he's going to play a Billy Strings song, and then he's going to talk to us about Billy Strings. Go ahead. I've not slept in seven days, and I've hadn't eaten in three. Methamphetamine has got a damn good hold of me. My tweaker friends have got me to the point of no return. So I just took the lighter to the bulb and watched it burn This life of sin has got me in It's got me back in prison once again I use my only phone call to contact my daddy Now I got 20 long years for some dust in a baggie. When did you first hear Billy Strings? I think I first heard him on the <laughs> internet. Uh, I definitely did. I was like, who the hell? Um, three or four years ago, uh, when he first started getting out there to the world. And uh, then we, we met shortly after. I think we kind of became friends through the internet. I was like, let's be friends, you know, mm-hmm. Facebook friends, but real friends too. And then uh, we met at Red Wing Roots, a really great festival up in Virginia. And uh, we just, I was like, hey, Billy. He's like, hey, John. And he's <laughs> like, let's pick. And I was like, all right. And we just got our guitars out and played music. It was awesome. Right on. He's lighting the world on fire. I'm hearing Damn about it. Damn right. Woo. It's been over 30 days I've not received a letter now My fingernails are chewed down to the bone So many different ways I've tried to say I'm sorry While I'm left here in this 8 by 10 alone It's not the four walls moving in that tortures me It's not the cold cement to shivers down my spine It's just them visions in my head that make me paranoid and wonder if when I get out, will you be See that now it's true My picket fence has turned to read 
Seems like the last time, feels like the first Though I've had bad days, this has to be my worst I'm left thinking of you
is burning What do you want her to take my plate away? What do you want her to take my plate away?